Father, we thank you for this time that we have now together. We pray very much that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to understand what the Bible says about beauty in the world around us, in the people that you've made, that we might honour you in all that we do and in all that we are. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I guess it is a bit of a cliché to say we live in a very beautiful world. I think Hampstead in London in the summer is just amazing, isn't it? I mean, it sort of comes into its own, and you can go around marvelling at how beautiful everything is, and particularly on a day like today. And there is a lot of beautiful beauty around. There's a lot of beauty in the world in general. That's the Lake District. You think that's just... That's just if you go on the internet and you think you search for beautiful views, I mean, it's just endless. You can find over and over again many, many different things, sunsets, panor- panoramic views, no... Every single one different and unique and amazing. Um, And then if we step outside this world, planet Earth, and you look at the universe, you get these extraordinary things going on out there in the cosmos. That's something called a butterfly nebula. Now, I don't know much more about it than that, but that's what it is. It's it's stars, it's out there in the universe, it's amazing. Um, Then there is artistic beauty. Um, Here's a beautiful... Painting, again, so many, so many, so much beautiful art. Uh, there's uh, beautiful music. You know, do you like uh, Mozart, Schubert, Rachmaninoff, U2, Ed Sheeran? You know, whatever, whatever it is. There's so much beauty in the world, and we could we could argue about what is the most beautiful music. And then there is physical beauty that draws us to other people in different ways, either in friendship or in romance or whatever it might be. Now, we've been thinking particularly about human relationships over the last couple of weeks, as I said, about sex and about marriage and what they're for. What's God's purpose in designing as our creator, the creator of the whole universe, creator of the world, creator of human beings, the creator of sex and marriage and human relationships? What is the point of all these things? What is the point if we are indeed married? What's the point if we're not married and we're single or or whatever? What's God's purpose for us as human beings? And what we've seen so far is that sex and marriage don't exist for their own sake, but they exist to tell us something about God. And they exist to tell us something about his love for his people and about the future that is in store for those who trust in Jesus. And that's true for us. We've seen whether or not we are actually married or whether or not we actually have sex. These things are here to point us to these great truths about God. So what about beauty, though? What about this strange phenomenon of beauty? That is what we're going to think about. Why are things and people beautiful? What is beauty for? Now, atheist scientists often appreciate that the world they're looking at is a very beautiful place. So... uh, Who's the most famous atheist scientist we can think of? Richard Dawkins, surely. And uh, he wrote a book called The Magic of Reality a few years ago. And he attempted to show... What he wanted to do was kind of dispel myth in his... You know, what he thinks myth is, and kind of go, look, science can explain everything, even beauty. 
even beauty within nature. But the thing is, actually, when you probe deeper into what he says and what others like him say, actually, it really transpires still that there really isn't an atheist explanation for why the world is beautiful. Now, there's a lot that scientists can tell us about how beauty works. So how light works. You know, why does it reflect and we get the beautiful colours of the rainbow? You know, scientists can tell us lots about those things. Maybe you, you, you know about these things. We study them at school and we get to sort of see, and it's amazing. The more you go into all that kind of stuff, it's amazing. The more you go into, you know, do you know about the magic ratio? This thing from the Fibonacci sequence in maths, and you, you find this magic ratio, which is the square root of 5 plus 1 over 2. And you go around and you, you, you find this all over the place. You find the best architecture has this perfect uh, ratio in it. And then you find it's in cabbages and weird, you know, weird sunflowers and weird, weird places like that. But it's this ratio that's all over nature. You think, wow, that's amazing. That is incredible. And science can kind of explore all of that and lay it out for us and go, look, it's here as well. And... But actually, still, none of that actually tells us what is all that for. It just tells us that it is. Can you see the difference? So it's like saying this. I think, yeah, there we go. So beautiful cake. Okay, so what is that cake for? You know, imagine you see that cake on the table and you think, what is that cake Four. And someone will say, oh, let me tell you about that cake. I'll tell you, I can tell you everything you need to know about that cake. It's made of flour, and it's made of eggs, and, uh, and milk, and butter, and sugar, and chocolate powder. And they've all been kind of mixed together in a special way, and a special technique has been applied to get those lovely um, things. I don't know what you call those lovely chocolate things on top that someone will know. They're yeah, piped in, aren't they, when, and sort of shaped in a special way. And it's all, you know, great British Bake Off, and it's all amazing. But you still haven't told me what it's for. Can you see? You've described it to me and you've broken it down and told me, you know, this is probably the recipe for it. But, but actually, it turns out that cake is for somebody's birthday. And until you know that, you don't really know whether you're allowed to kind of cut into it and have a piece. And actually, you shouldn't, should you? If it's for somebody's birthday, you can't just cut into it and have a piece of it because that would, that would be destroying their birthday. And, and as brilliant as scientists are, they won't be able to tell you that. They'll be able to tell you everything about the cake, but they won't be able to tell you what it's for and how you should use it and, you know, who's it for, who can eat it, all those kinds of things. And actually, it's the same, you see, with beauty. Although it's wonderful to admire beauty in the world, and everyone can do that, and everyone loves doing that, it's quite hard to explain what it's for. Because put it like this, if everything was grey and had the same shape, even, you know, even if it was just different kinds of things were all the same, you know, amongst themselves. All people look the same. We're all like the Borg out of Star Trek, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, would that actually make any difference to life? What difference, you know, would that really make any difference to the kind of function of life? What then is the point of being sort of beautiful and different and unique in all those ways? And I guess, what, what's an atheist going to say to that? An atheist, in the end, is going to say, that's a bit of a stupid question. Because we're not like that, and we are like we are, and, uh, you know, this, for example, is how human attraction works. And, you know, they probably have some sort of evolution reason for, for it being a good idea. And so you just, just live with it. Just get on with it. Enjoy it. But, you know, it doesn't really matter why. But the Christian can expect a better answer. Because we believe in a God who designed the world and designed human beings 
So what is the point of designing us differently? And add to that then the issues around sexual attraction and beauty. See, if on the one hand God has made sex for a very specific context, which is marriage between a man and a woman, as we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks, why on the other hand did he make human beings attractive to one another? Now, the world says, huh, well, you know, the, the answer the world says is, is, well, that means you just need to ignore those boundaries. They're kind of antiquated and old-fashioned, and they're not very good for you, and have as much fun as you want with whoever you, know, whoever you want, whenever you want, provided it's consensual. And with that is the kind of general consensus that doing things like, you know, like looking at pornography, for example, is just, just totally normal. It's just one of those things, unless you're an MP in a debate in the House of Commons, of course. Um, although, the, you know, the historic consensus among non-Christians about pornography is changing, actually, isn't it? As people highlight both the exploitation of women, particularly, but also men, and, and the negative consequences that viewing pornography has on those who are viewing it. So not even that, you, you can't even take that for, for sort of granted anymore. But still, what's the kind of problem? Why is the world like this? Why is the world? Why has God made a world in which that kind of distortion is possible? You know, why doesn't He? Why didn't He just make everybody like the Borg in Star Trek, and then you wouldn't have to kind of worry about those things? So that is our question this evening, and we're going to see uh, briefly together three things that we can say from the Bible about this question. And as we go through, as we've said over the last couple of weeks, do do you know? We won't be able to cover every question and thing that we could say so do so make a note of any questions we'll have a, a time of Q&A after the service for those who'd like to stay behind and talk a little bit more and even then we probably won't be able to get to the bottom of everything in that time but uh, do make the most of that but here's the first thing to see then beauty points us to God the giver the one who gives the beauty so, so Psalm 19 we heard just the first verse really really is really helps us with this the heavens Declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So what is this telling us? It's telling us that when we look at the world and the universe around us, we're supposed to conclude, wow, God is amazing. And actually, this is a point where science can really help us. So there was a time when people assumed that the earth was at the centre of the universe and the sun went round the earth. As, as you well know, and now we know it's not like that. And in particular, and what we know now is that the universe is unimaginably huge. And actually, we know sometimes when we start to, when you actually start to remember how unimaginably vast the universe is, um, it makes you sort of start to wonder, are we really all that significant? You know, stuck in this tiny little planet on the edge of a solar system in, you know, in a galaxy for, I mean, I, I don't even know what the numbers are, but it's, it's sort of millions of stars just here in this particular bit of the universe. And then it's the same again millions of times over, all over the universe. I mean, what's going on, you know, with this, this tiny, tiny little speck, less than that? And that could make us doubt our significance, but actually, it could also make us go, wow, whoever made this is extraordinary and amazing and glorious look at him look at how great god is you know look at those beautiful butterfly nebula and constellations and galaxies and all the rest of it you know if this is what creation is like 
Well, what kind of creator would it take to make this? That is the glory of God that Psalm 19 is talking about. When we see beauty that makes us go, wow, in the heavens, as it were, you know, in the, in the, in the sky, in the, in the universe, and then beauty on the earth, we're meant to go, wow, the God who made this must be amazing. And the more we get to know this extraordinary world, the more we can do that. Because there's beauty everywhere, isn't it? Not just in the obvious places. There's even beauty in really obscure and unexpected places. Now, I hinted at it before, the Fibonacci sequence. Um, I never get to put equations on, on the screen. <laughs> but just, just, just enjoy this for a moment. And don't worry, this isn't a maths lesson. I did study maths for three years, so I, sort of, I used to know what this sort of stuff meant. But the point is, you've got, in that equation, you have got, this is called Euler's Identity, and you have got five things that you would think are just totally unconnected to each other. Five numbers, E, I, pi, one. I mean, one and zero are kind of obviously connected to each other. But uh, it, it, suddenly they're brought together and put in the same place with an equal sign between them. And you take any mathematician who isn't a Christian, doesn't really know anything about God, and they go, yep, that is utterly amazing that the world is like this and that this particular equation Holds. You see, you know, and I, I, I doubt you came to church thinking, yeah, we're going to hear about beauty in maths. But that's just one example. You can tell me all the things that you're fascinated by in the world. And where you can genuinely see, yeah, this is beautiful. And it's meant to make us not just go, wow, that's beautiful. It's meant to make us go, wow, God, who made this, who designed this, is amazing. That's why we have that. I've got that picture there. That's meant to, I think that's breadcrumbs on the floor. It's the best picture of breadcrumbs I could find. But one writer talks about beauty as a breadcrumb path that leads us to Christ, it leads us to God. It's a breadcrumb path. It's just little things which are meant to make us kind of keep going, keep going until we see him because he is the giver of that beauty. You see, we, we're, human beings long for perfection. We long for the thing that is the most beautiful, don't we? Now, we look around and we think, I want to find the most beautiful rose. You go into the flower shop, I want to find the best one. I'm looking for the, the most beautiful one. I want to find the most beautiful person, we think. And when we're doing that, you see, we're just longing for perfection. But in the end, who, you know, what is, what is, where do we find perfection? Who is perfect? Well, God is perfect. He's the one in whom we are going to find ultimate perfection so again you know we long for perfection what else we, we long for more and more it's another thing our hearts kind of keep longing for but that's what we're like because even if we find what we're looking for we tend not to be totally satisfied for all that long you ever noticed that you know whether it's a meal you think yeah I've, I've had this food it's going to be absolutely amazing you have the meal and then you know a few hours later you're hungry again or a piece of music, and you just get really into it, but then you've heard it a few times, and it becomes an earworm, and then you kind of move on, and you want to find some other piece of music, which is the ultimate piece of music for you. Or even a relationship can be the same. You know, these things, they, all, they, they will satisfy, but before, before long, we often find ourselves less fulfilled, less satisfied than we thought we might be. But the thing about God, again, you see, is that he is infinite. 
He is unending in his perfection. You can never have enough of him or know enough of him. So when we're longing for more and more, we're longing in one sense for him. As the people that he has made. He's the one to whom the breadcrumb trail leads. So that's what, when you see something or someone that's beautiful, that is meant to make us say, God is great. What an awesome God. Who would make such beauty? One of the sad things about our culture, though, is that it has sexualized every conversation about human beauty in particular, if you think about it. So that we assume if someone talks about somebody else as beautiful, there'll be some kind of sexual desire going on. You know, they clearly want to sleep together, whatever it is, which is sad because it stops us from being able to notice beauty without then immediately feeling kind of guilty. Now, of course, noticing beauty can be the first step towards lust. But in and of itself, there is no reason why it should be, because the point is beauty is meant to signpost God the creator who is a generous and glorious giver. But as we all know, sometimes noticing and appreciating beauty can then turn into something darker, can turn into lust. And that is what takes us to our, our, the second thing we need to see, which is how sin has messed everything up. So sin turns us from worshipping the giver to worshipping his gifts. And this is where we need to turn to uh, Romans chapter 1. So that's on page 1128. So, you know, I guess everything we've said so far kind of sounds okay, but we know in practice, actually, although we've emphasised how amazing the world is, we also know there's loads of times when the world isn't beautiful at all and is spoilt by war and violence and conflict and even natural disasters and, and just stuff that goes on in our own lives that is ugly and not beautiful at all. None of that is. And the Bible puts the root cause of all of that at the door of human sin. Sin is just the Bible word for turning our backs on God, going our own way and saying, I want to be in charge, not you, God. And the Bible says that is the cause of why the world is less beautiful so much of the time than it could be or than we think it ought to be. So sin is described in these verses we just heard from Romans, and it's described as exchanging the glory of the immortal God, if you look in verse 23, for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And later on, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Now, in some times and places and cultures, that has meant, and sometimes it still means, literally bowing down to wooden idols or whatever as if they were God. You will find that. But even more broadly than that, this is also about where we, instead of living for God, as we were created to do, we live for other things that aren't God, but we treat as if they are. And this is where lust comes in. Because what's the difference between just appreciating beauty and lusting after beauty? Well, lust is when we're doing more than just saying, this is a beautiful person, or this is a beautiful thing that makes me just genuinely give thanks to God for them, what we're saying is actually, no, this person or this thing, this is what is going to ultimately satisfy me. So I must have 
it or I must have him or I must have her at all costs. And that then begins to consume our hearts, consumes our attention, consumes our energy. So when it comes to viewing pornography, one of the things about pornography is that it is literally addictive. It has a similar effect on the brain as more obviously addictive substances. And it has this way of constantly making you long for more and never quite being satisfied. And all that makes it very difficult to stop. Now, some of us are like that with other things, like chocolate. You know, this is my last one, we tell ourselves. We all know this feeling, don't we? My last one, knowing full well that really, once you've started eating chocolate, the only way we'll ever be able to stop is when there is no more chocolate in the house. That's really the only way to stop eating chocolate. But we don't start by saying, yes, I'm going to eat all the chocolate in the house. We start by saying, I'm going to eat that one chocolate. That's going to be enough. But then I'm, actually, when I've had that one, yeah, but what I'm going to do now is I'm going to have one more. And then I've had that one, yeah, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to have one more. And it just keeps going round and round and round, and we don't know how to stop. And th these are kind of greater and lesser forms of the same thing, of where our hearts are just persuaded that this one thing here and now is what is going to satisfy me and fulfill me, and therefore I must have it. And the striking thing is that as we let this thing master us and our desires and our senses, the striking thing is that not only is it wrong because it's replacing God with something else, so instead of us saying, God, you're, you are the one I'm living for, we, we, we say, this is the thing that I must have that will satisfy me. Not only is that just idolatrous, it's wrong, and we deserve God's judgment for it, but actually it, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't work. All it does is it creates a greater desire for more and more. So again, with pornography, you see, initially, it seems to offer so much. You know, so um, it's sort of, you know, it's no strings attached intimacy. You just think, oh, it's just easy. Oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, slightly... Um, Funny line, but you know, do you know the line from Woody Allen? And he said, you know, he said, don't, don't knock masturbation, it's sex with someone you love. And he's kind of, but you can kind of see, I mean, Woody Allen had a way of putting things that is saying, actually, there's a way in which the attraction is you just remove all, um, you, you, you remove all kind of needs to interact with anybody else. And, and for many people, that is just deeply attractive because we just get to kind of do things on our own terms. And it seems to offer um, something that is just, it's not doing anybody any harm. But the reality is, it is self-serving, destructive addiction. And, and the result often is an inability to experience real intimacy, and all kinds of other things. See, it, it, it's not just wrong, you know, the Bible says it's wrong to look at pornography. Well, you know, I think it is wrong, but it is destructive, and it destroys us, as, as does so much else in what the Bible calls sin. It is bad for us in so many ways. So what then do we do? Well, the Bible gives us a greater vision. The Bible tells us those desires that you've got for more and more satisfaction and for fulfillment, 
Actually, those are desires for God that only he can satisfy. So the writer C.S. Lewis put it like this. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Do you see? And that then takes us to the final thing to see, which is that true and lasting beauty is found in Jesus. And for this, we need to turn to a a bit that we didn't read, but it's in Philippians, um, which you will find on page 1179 in the Bibles in front of you. Page 1179. Um, You may have heard me say this before, uh, but when I was a student, I went off to university with a massive catering tin of Nescafe instant coffee. And I thought that was pretty cool, because like I had this, it was like, I'm never going to run out of coffee, this is brilliant. And I had it in my room, and I could just make coffee whenever I wanted, you know, very sophisticated, until I discovered real ground coffee. And then later on from that, freshly ground from recently roasted single-origin coffee and espresso, and the rest of it. And I look back now and I think, how on earth did I ever put up with drinking instant coffee? I mean, really? I couldn't tell at the time how disgusting it is, but it is. Now, apologies if if you're just thinking, you know, you snob, you idiot. That's fine. But the, the, the key thing is, the only way that I discovered how horrible instant coffee is, in my opinion, is by finding the real thing. So when I had the real thing, I realized, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And you see, beauty is like that. It's designed to point us to God. Our sin means we distort it and worship beautiful things as if they were God. The way out of that is not just to say, stop doing that. The way out of that is to find beauty in God once again and realize how beautiful he is and how much greater he is. And the key to that is to look at Jesus. Now, there is some irony here. The the Bible describes Jesus as being not beautiful. So Isaiah 53, verse 2, he had no beauty to attract us to him. Isaiah says, you know, in advance of Jesus coming, but he says that about Jesus. And, uh, of course, that is talking about external appearance. Stacked up against even the fleeting pleasures of this world, so many people dismiss Jesus as worthless, as an oddity from history. You know, there's no beauty there. What are you doing focusing on Jesus for? I mean, what a waste of time. But when we look closer at Jesus, what do we find? We find one who had everything and gave himself up. So this is Philippians 2. Um, Chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, verse 6, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. So Jesus gave himself in the greatest act of love. Look at who he is. He's God himself. And he realizes, I'm not going to hold on to the being God for myself and just enjoy being God. I'm going to give myself up for those who've rejected me. And that is truly beautiful and awe-inspiring. And that is how we can be weaned off our idolatry of 
created things by looking at him. The more we get to know him, the less attractive those other less satisfying and less fulfilling desires will become. And more than that, of course, as we look to Jesus, we find not only is, is what he's done just, you know, he, that, that is where more beauty is to be found, we find also forgiveness. For when we have turned our backs on God, for when we have been taken in by idols, when we have worshipped things that are not God, this Jesus who died did it to, to woo us back to him, to find new life in him. So he is the key when we're distracted by the fleeting beauty that never quite satisfies anyway of the world around us. It's Jesus where we will find the real lasting beauty that is worth having. So I've been quoting this um, book by a guy called Ed Shaw, who's written this book called Purposeful Sexuality, uh, which is um, really helpful. And he, and he quotes a prayer, and I want to just finish with this prayer that he, um, that he quotes. He talks about how he's had to, Ed, the, the writer, talks about how he's had to learn the difference between appreciating beauty and sinful lust, exactly what we've been talking about this evening. He says, God has wired us to appreciate the beauty he scattered all over creation. He's designed beauty to stop us in our tracks and bring us back to him. We need to appreciate increasingly that any time we are instinctively attracted to another human being is a call to worship, a call to worship the creator of the beauty, not the bearer of it. And so he offers this prayer, which is one way to respond when we see beauty in another. So let me just put that on the screen for you to see. I'm not going to ask us to say it out loud or anything like that, but I'm going to just read it out for us. So a moment of quiet to reflect, and I'll pray this for us before we sing our final song. Upon seeing a beautiful person. Lord, I praise you for divine beauty reflected in the form of this person. Now train my heart so that my response to their beauty would not be twisted downward into envy or desire, but would instead be directed upward in worship of you, their creator, as was your intention for all such beauty before the breaking of the world. Amen. Let's go for the one that was asked first, which I think is this one. Is there anything distinctive then about beauty compared with just good things generally, i.e. our right response to them, to them is to enjoy the giver I mean, I, I think that's a good place, and it is a very good place to start, is just to say, yeah, I mean, beauty is a good thing, and like, like the whole of creation in lots of different ways, it's there to make us say, God is amazing, and glorify him. Um, 
Well, yeah, then more specifically, I mean, yeah, there are lots of... You can do this with lots of other things in creation too and think, well, what does this specifically tell us about God? Um, or, or what might it, you know, specifically tell us? And there's something about sort of harmony in beauty and the bringing together of... So, so we, we've talked over the last couple of weeks about this idea of union in difference. And actually, this, that's, that's kind of Trinitarian. So... You know, God is equally um, one and three. He's one person, uh, sorry, one, um, one um, God in three persons. So he is, um, uh, he's kind of, but he's, he's not ultimately one or ultimately three. He is ultimately one and three together. And actually, a lot of the world is about um, either bringing together things that are different or separating out things that you thought were the same uh, but in fact have distinctions between them. And so it's called analysis or synthesis. And actually, beauty is about bringing together things which are slightly different from each other and showing that they are in, in some way united um, or about kind of showing different angles on the same thing. And th there's a sense in which that points us to um, something about the fact that God is equally one and three. Or to put it another way, if you try and explain what beauty might be there for without knowing that God is Trinity, it's very difficult to, to do that. Um, you know, put it like that. Anyway, yeah. Right. Okay. And... Right. Okay, let's, let's go for this one next, because it's quite an interesting one. Should we strive for personal beauty? So, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, good, it's, it's a good question. So, I, I think strive for is the, is the question, is what do we mean by strive for? Um, because strive for can become live for, um, unless I have this one thing, my life is not worth living, um, and it can become a sort of Instagram obsession with um, the perfect physical appearance, which, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to see that that's pretty unhealthy, and the world around us knows really that that's quite unhealthy, although it doesn't quite know what to do about that. But um, so, so there's a sense in which we all know striving for personal beauty, for personal beauty, male or female, is um, to the exclusion of everything else, is, is going to be pretty unhelpful. Um, beyond that, I mean, it's quite a it, 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 it's quite a subtle thing to know the difference between, um, you know, I'm not going to talk about makeup and things, but, you know, there's a sort of, there's a, there's, there's a conversation to be had there, isn't there, about what, what is appropriate. Um, and I think it's not, I wouldn't, I would suggest it's not about rules, but it's about attitude behind that. Um, but clearly we all present ourselves to the world, don't we? We all think how we want to put, across, put ourselves across by choosing clothes to put on, you can't just say, I'm not going to, um, you, you know, any decision to put clothes on, I mean, if we, you know, we all put clothes on, but any decision to do that is a decision to present yourself in a particular way. And you can't say, I'm not going to think about that, because you do think about it. You know, everybody does. So you then got to think, well, in what way is it a godly way to present myself to the world? Um, uh, because, yeah. Well, what would you say, Colin? Yeah, I, I, I think there is a, a right way of... Um of doing it in the sense of kind of, I suppose, making the most of what 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 God has has given us and feeling comfortable about ourselves. 
And yet, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking about that, uh, you know, the verse in Revelation where it talks about, you know, the church as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Yeah. So, you know, that, that imagery is, is, under, is understood, but it's obviously pointing towards something different there in terms of good deeds and that sort of thing. And, you know, certainly, I suppose in, in 1 Peter 3, Peter talks about, you know, actually if we want our focus really should be primarily on actually making ourselves beautiful in, inside by, yeah. in, you know, in the way, in, in character, you know, through, through the grace of Christ. Um, but I don't think it's wrong yeah. to actually enjoy the bodies that God has given us and, and you know, find out what colour suit is. This is just me in doing a little kind of segue into... If you're a woman, come along on on the dress without stress evening with Hilary Nichols, because actually she does touch on the, these sort of things yeah. um, and about identity. So an identity that is secure and isn't actually dependent upon whether we've had a sort of good or bad hair day or whatever, or had a bit of a kind of clothing disaster or whatever. So, so that sounds like the yeah really good um, way to continue exploring that question. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. Whilst Jesus will be more beautiful than we can grasp in the new creation, will his physical form still be plain by our world's standards? Yeah, good question. I mean, obviously, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference now already because he's risen from the dead, and we know that that changed his appearance, and, and there's a sense in which he became... And they had a glimpse in the transfiguration of Jesus' as sort of glorified... Um, so I, I, think, I think there's a sense in which, you know, it would be, you, there was a veil over his beauty in, in, in him going to the cross that meant that it was easy to miss unless you were looking for what, you know, for God at work in him. Um, but I think it, the, there's enough sort of little hints that there'd be something different about him. But even then, if you're not a Christian then, you know, there's always that sense of, you know, if you're not a Christian, you're not trusting in Jesus, heaven will not be a place you want to be. There's a, there's, there is that sense as well. But because the whole point about it is that Jesus is at the heart of it. And if, you, if you're kind of rejecting Jesus in whatever way, well, I don't think you will find him beautiful in an attractive sense because you've decided you don't want him. So, um, yeah, maybe there's a, sen <clears throat> a sense in which still by the world's standards... It will look different, but um, yeah. But I think I think there is a transformation um, in the in the new heavens and new earth that we begin to see as Jesus rises from the mm. dead. Mm. And I don't think it will matter one way or another in yeah. one sense. You know, I think if we are inside, or you know, if we are created to be like Christ in the new creation, then I think these things will really cease to cease to matter. Indeed. Yeah. But anyway, let's let's come back in kind of, you know, a thousand years' time uh, in glory and uh, <laughs> discuss. Uh, one last question here. I don't okay. think it's a question. Trusting it's not a question. the last time we'll ever have enough sort of equation in our, on our service. Just had a horrible flashback to school days and took maths on the Thursday afternoon. So not a question, <laughs> but a comment. It's from Daniel. No. Thanks, thanks, Daniel. That's very, very, very constructive. And Except, uh, Dan, I just, just want to kind of burst, burst the bubble there. You know, I wouldn't pin all your hopes on that being the last time we ever have a mathematical <laughs> equation as part of the service. 
a mis misrepresentation of um, science backgrounds on the staff. So you have been warned. But uh, we have, uh, as we know, Aaron Koo has been appointed and uh, God willing is joining us in the summer and he's not a mathematician or a physicist uh, by background but some kind of musician. So praise the Lord for that. So should we, do you want, do you want to lead us in prayer as we finish? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have created a beautiful world. Lord, thank you for that deep sense of, of satisfaction that we can get when we, when we look at uh, something beautiful. And Lord, help us to remember that in these fleeting, fleeting moments, that they are pointing us towards a time when they will no longer be fleeting. Thank you for that reminder that our hearts were made ourselves were made for you and please help us lord to to uh, look from the gift to the giver and to respond every time in gratitude and in worship to you in jesus name amen amen